0: But uh, when I hear you play, I think of what it must have been like. I know he played the lyre, but David. I just think of David screaming. You know, a lot of people can play instruments and sing well. And Highland obviously does, but I know Highland. And this guy just flat out loves Jesus. And that's what makes it so sweet. Great communicators... Great communicators have an art of starting their talks or starting their books or whatever with a way that intrigues you into them. They, they use something, uh, or perhaps they use an a, a, a advertising campaign or something that draws you into it. For instance, I was at the movie theater when uh, the, the trailer or the, the, the introduction, or what do you call those, movie introduction or the commercial for a movie was first being shown for Lord of the Rings. I don't know if anybody else was. I happened to be in the theater when that one was being introduced. And after the nine minutes or so of this trailer happened, people left. People left the theater. They came, they paid the money just to see this trailer of Lord of the Rings. They were that freaked out about it. One of our former associate pastors was uh, one of them. So, you just love that movie so much. Great beginnings are no stranger to the the field of literature either. If you're at all uh, a fan of literature, you know those first few sentences can hook you in. One of the greatest at this was a guy by the name of Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens wrote some of the greatest works ever written, and if you haven't read any Dickens, uh, you, you should... It is really good stuff. One of his, probably the most famous introduction of any piece of literature out there is from *A Tale of Two Cities*. This is classic stuff. It says, "It was the best of times; it was the worst of times." Man, I quote that all the time. People says, "How you doing?" Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing terrible. Just pick a category. One's doing up. One's doing down. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. The period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. In my life, I want to write something like that anywhere. I can barely read something like that. When you read that, I remember reading that even, I think I was in fifth grade. We had to read Dickens. And we were thinking, that was cool. I don't really have a clue what he said, but that was really, really cool. Another one I read in fifth grade by Dickens is Christmas Carol. And Christmas Carol is not quite that deep, but it definitely hooks you in the first paragraph. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change. For anything he chose to put his hand to, old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Now, you read that and you just say, oh, I want to keep reading the books. If you haven't read I can't do it because it's more than just the opening paragraph, but my favorite novel of all time is Peace Like a River by Leif Enger. It is an ama- I encourage you, pick up a copy of it. Uh, I had a copy of it, but Tim took it. Um, <clears throat> but you can could, you could find someone who has it. It's a great novel. And that first chapter, I dare anyone in this, even if you're not a reader, I dare anyone, I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, to read that first chapter and not to keep going. It is that hooking in with you. We're in a series right now. We just started it. Called the Gospel of John. When the first part of it, the Word became flesh and, and moved into the neighborhood, is what we're calling it. And we're going to look at over the next six weeks or so, John's hook for us into his Gospel. It's amazing. It's probably one of the most famous uh, introductions in all of literature, is John's hook into the Gospel of John. It's unlike any of the other Gospels. It's unlike anything else in the Bible, this, this hook that he gives us. And I want to read it. It's in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab. A, we have those little Gospel of Johns. They're free to take. You can have those. They should still be in the pews. Uh, you could grab a Bible in front of you or, or you can open up that insert, whatever you want to do. I want to read the whole thing. Um, as in an introduction, all 18 verses. We'll just kind of see how he hooks us into this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, if that's the first time you've ever heard that, I hope you're hooked. The first time I remember reading that I was a, a freshman in college, and it hooked me into what? Wow, that's really something. You know, I had the Bible on the shelf, but the first time actually I read it, it was like, my goodness, that's actually kind of cool. We want to focus our attention this morning just on the first two verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, that's radically different than the way the other three Gospels, remember the, the New Testament has four Gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, that is radically different than the way they start their gospels. They do not give away that secret. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. They don't give away that secret for a long time. In Matthew, it doesn't happen in chapter 16. Jesus is in this region. He asks, them who do, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? In verse 14, they reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then if you skip down to verse 20, Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody. Mark, you don't get it until chapter 8. That sounds earlier, except Mark's only 15 or 16 chapters long. 16. 16? Yeah? Okay. Uh, 16, it's halfway through. Same thing. He asks them, who do they say I am? And Peter again replies, You are the Christ. And verse 30, there he says, Don't tell anyone. Luke chapter 9. You're, you're, you're over over a third into the book before it happens. Again, they have the same conversation. And, and Peter says, You're the Christ. And again, Jesus warms, uh, warns them not to tell anyone. So this is a very significant event when Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You know what? John doesn't include it. For John, it happens in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was. He's just going to tell you right there, and then it's unlike any of the other Gospels. You kind of got to figure out who is this Jesus person. He's just going to tell you right away in the first verse. Now, to the hearers of that, if you you came from, uh, uh, if you read this, the first person who read the Gospel of John, you would have been expecting this had you been a student of the Old Testament. Had you read the, they read the Old Testament, you would have expected it. In Psalm, or excuse me, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, you, this one's quoted all the time at Christmas time. It's, it's a prophecy about the Messiah to come, but it's more than just a Messiah. Listen to this. It says, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful, some people put a comma there, who knows, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the the road was being paved for this Messiah to come, but Messiah was more than just a spokesperson for God. He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as in Psalm 45, God is speaking in Psalm 45. We'll we'll see this quote again in just a minute. He says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God, the Father is speaking, and he says... Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. They saw this coming. They saw that Jesus was going to be more than just a man, more than just a, a, a Moses character to take them out of the, the Roman rule. More than that, he was going to be God Almighty. Jesus was fully God The early church understood it, and they wrote wrote all kinds of things about it. In Romans 9, Paul writes about this, and he just slips it into this sentence. He says, I'm picking it up in the middle of a sentence, but he's talking about Israel, and he says, theirs, people of Israel, are the patriarchs, and from them, the people of Israel, is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. And he also writes in the book of Titus, and he talks about this, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not just Savior, Jesus; it's great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, he quotes that verse from uh, Psalm 45, and he says, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You see, he quotes that Psalm 45, but he inserts that thing that says, but about the Son, he, God, the Father, says... Your throne of oh God will last forever and ever. Now, you should be saying at this point in time, and I know it's only uh, a little before 10, so you might be going, <laughs> it's easy, right? Okay, Jesus is God, right? This is easy. Chalk it up, multiple choice. Jesus is God, Jesus is not God, all of the above. Let's choose Jesus is God. Easy. Until you stop to think about it for a minute. How does. How do you pour the infinite into a finite body? Hmm? I mean, how, 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 how does the infinite, all-knowing God, who, who knows everything and, and, and created everything, he's the author of all things, how does he become a baby and have to learn how to walk? And how, how, how does he have to learn how to talk and to communicate? Hmm. That's pretty tough. How can that be? How can Jesus be fully God and also fully man? It's not so easy. In fact... In church history, this has been the one area where more people have probably been burned at the stake uh, than any other. There was a guy by the name of Apollinarius, and he was bishop of Laodicea in 361 AD. So he's a big shot in the church, and he started scratching his head on this one going, I think I'll try to figure it out. And so what he said was, well, it's kind of like this. Jesus isn't fully God, and Jesus isn't fully man. He's basically rip off a part of God and rip off a part of man, half of this, half of this, and don't fuse them together, just kind of stick them together. So it's half God and half man, and so when Jesus was, when Jesus was uh, 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 learning things, that was his man part, and when he wasn't, when he could tell the future, that was his God part. Well, that's just wrong. Uh, that's just not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that he's fully God and fully man. And it draws the line of mystery right there. It draws the line of mystery right there. And Apollinarius tried to, tried to understand it. There's another guy by the name of Nestorius. By the way, if you're going to be a heretic, you have to have a really cool name. <laughs> Apollinarius Nestorius. I mean, that's just you, these are cool. Don't name your kids Apollinarius Nestorius. This guy said, okay, well, not half and half, completely distinct, like this is Jesus, put a box, and over here's the God part, and over here's the human part, and they're not stuck together at all. So it's just kind of like Jesus was completely multi-personality. He had the God personality, and then he would shut that off, and then he would turn into the Jesus, the human personality, and just flip back and forth. His guy was a famous popular preacher in Antioch and then he became the Bishop of Constantinople in 428 A.D. But there was a lot of controversy about how can this be? Wait a minute. God in the flesh. That is weird. How can this be? Which brought us to probably one of the most famous creeds ever written. It was a creed of Constantinople. It's really more of a definition And it explains what who Jesus is. Listen to what it says, but then also listen to how it's completely mysterious. And it's written kind of in in obviously in very old English because it wasn't in English at all. But so just let me read. It's a little choppy, but therefore, following the Holy Fathers. We all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood. Hear that? Completely God, completely human, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood. Like us in all respects, apart from sin, as regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, but yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union. Isn't that a cool sentence, the distinction of nature's being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and substance, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God the Word, Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of him, and our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us. And the creeds of our fathers has handed down to us. Now that's beautiful. And that's, you can see what they really try to push and say. And then, and then that's it. They say no more. They just draw the line and say that's where the mystery, this is what it is. But other than that, I can't tell you anymore. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. No, I don't know. What difference does this make in your life? What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Hamlet often quotes this, and I think this is very true. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. I like to state it like this. Every problem you have is faced with a wrong understanding of God. Every problem you have is really, if you boil it down, is based on a wrong understanding of who God is. Now, if that's true, if both those statements are true, then this means everything. Because like the end of the prologue says, no one has ever seen God, but the God the Father, but God the Son has been clearly seen. You want to know who God is? You want a correct vision of God? Know Jesus Christ. Read about Christ and then you'll see the picture of who God is. He's fully God. Do you know that you're going to worship eternally Jesus around the throne? Because he's worthy to be worshipped. You don't worship anyone but God. You worship Christ. You know that some of you at a point in your lives, and this week you will be faced with it. I guarantee you. I was faced with it last week. Went goose hunting up in Canada, and uh, uh, my party were, were great guys, but the other guys, they drunken... Man, it was amazing. I haven't not been. I'm from the Iron Range, and I was blushing a few times. I mean, this was hardcore <laughs> drinking and swearing, and oh my goodness. And you've got to decide. You have to make some decisions of, of, are you going to take a stand for Christ or not? Why do you do that? You take a stand because he's worth trusting. You take a stand because he's worth it. And because he's who he said he was, then it's worth it. Let me ask you a question that we'll be asking often, and I want you just to ponder this for a second. I'm going to close in prayer in just a second, and I'm going to give you about 10 seconds just to ponder this. Who is Jesus Christ to you today? Who is Jesus Christ to you today? Don't give me the Sunday school answer. Give me what's really going on in your heart. Who is Jesus Christ to you today? Let's pray. Lord, as we ponder that question in our own lives, um, it's humbling. Who Who are you to us? Not when we're faced with an exam or when we're faced in church to give the right answer, but who are you when we're at our workplaces? Who are you in our marriages? Who are you in our parenting? Who are you when no one's looking? Who are you to us? Are you really this word that always was? Are you really God Almighty in the flesh? Are you really Jesus? Lord, I pray you'd give us a gift this week. I pray you'd give us a vision of yourself that will change us because we'll see you the way you are. When we get a vision of you like that, Lord, it'll change us from the very tips of our toes to the end of our nose. It'll make us be people who want to follow you because we're drawn to you. So give us that image. Give us that vision. Let us see you for the way you really are. pray in Jesus' name.